It's the Breakcast, Breakcast, the PopBreak.com. Breakcast, Breakcast, listen to the show, because you're in for the PopBreak.com. Breakcast, Breakcast, oh Hello and welcome to The Breakcast. As you can probably tell, I am not Bill Bodkin, nor am I Dan Cohen. I am occasional guest, managing editor of thepopbreak.com, Matthew Nando Kelly. So I wanted to come in this week with something a little different. A couple of weeks ago, I and fellow Pop Break writer DJ Chapman were fortunate enough to see a sketch comedy group from Australia, and they're known as Auntie Donna. So there are three actors in the group, Broden Kelly, Mark Bonanno, and Zach Irwain. Uh, it's three performers, actually six guys. I first noticed them on YouTube. They have a series called 1999, and then they've done several other series as they do live shows. They are Australian where they have a large following, but this spring they had their first North American tour. The show itself is amazing. It's kind of like seeing a really high energy rock concert. So DJ and I loved the show and afterwards I was like, oh, I really would love to talk to these guys. So we got in touch with some of their team and a couple of weeks ago I had a little chat with the guys. We talked about their shows, what it's been like in the United States, what they've eaten, what they look for in an audience. Their shows are really heavy on audience participation and a lot of the times it's pretty involved and we talked about some of the really strange merchandise they sell and i learned a thing or two about australian celebrities which is always nice so please enjoy my conversation with mark broden and zach aka auntie donna where are you guys now are you in la or are you um in new york where are you guys in the tour We had a beautiful trip across North America, across every beautiful city, uh, like Chicago and and, uh, Boston, Toronto, Vancouver, Seattle, Portland, all these cool places. And uh, we finished our tour, and now we're in between like 50 hotels next to Disneyland and a conference and a big conference convention center in Anaheim, surrounded by 13-year-old little girls for VidCon. I saw that on Twitter you guys had the hashtag Auntie Donna Eats. Did you guys have something that stood out as, like, your favorite meal? Did you like it? How, how do we do? Uh, we, we ate a lot, and, and then a lot of the cities on our tour, it was the first time we'd ever been to those cities, so we couldn't really go past the, the most famous dish in each city. Um, but Broden's favorite, I think, was the best. Yeah, I, I, was, I was really hungry when we got to Chicago, and I had a deep dish pizza, and it was the best thing I've ever eaten. And yeah, it was just sensational to the point where I made them box it up, and I had it for breakfast the next day before a show. And I think the show suffered severely because of it. Um, but it was a really, really tasty pizza. It was not really a pizza. It was more of a, a, a cheese soup, but with a bread bowl. Uh, but it was, it was really, it was really, really good. I think everyone, what, what was your favorite? Uh, my favorite would have to be, I, I had Austin barbecue. Um, and that was pretty insane as well. I had, um, Chinese food in San Francisco at a place called the House of Man's King. And it was phenomenal. It was the best Chinese food I've ever had in my life. And we did we did very well. We had a really good trip uh, in terms of eating uh, as, as food tourists. And then we did some shows as well on the side. I mean, I was at, me and a friend of mine who also writes for uh, 
the pop break, the site that we're from. We're at the, I believe it was the Saturday show in New York, um, in Manhattan, the one where the whoopee cushion broke. And it was, it was insane. And I know that, I think I had spoken to someone who said that was the only show where you guys didn't get a standing ovation. Is that right? Oh, did you go to that show? Yeah, I think I was at that show. Yes, well, that's yeah, that that's yeah, that, that that's been the torment of my soul for this whole trip. <laughs> Is everywhere we've gone, um, we've gotten standing O's, and uh, including all the last Lago shows. It was just that one Saturday night in New York, the Saturday night in New York crowd. It's going to haunt me for the rest of my life because we were one one show off a perfect game, which is a real... But I think everyone had fun that night. There just wasn't that one or two people to get the crowd, you know, moving. I think standing ovations are pretty incredible. They don't really... Like, that. it's pretty crazy to be getting so many of them. It's that, that thing of, you know, are you a, gl- a glass 90% full or a glass 10% empty? And... Uh... <laughs> It was an amazing, I mean, it was an incredible show. I honestly think, and I talked to my friend after the show about this, it's a it's a tough show as an audience member because if you're really into it and you're laughing like the entire time, about 20 minutes in, you just get really tired, kind of out of energy. Yeah, yeah and you burn out. And I yeah, think yeah, maybe yeah. that's what it was. Everybody was just, you know, everybody was just wiped. It's. I apologize for the New York audience, though. You guys were crazy. Yeah, I, uh... I'll just live with that for the rest of my life and know that they were all tired. The other thing as well is I think standing ovations, it only takes two people who really enjoyed the show for the rest of the audience to stand up. The guilt, they get guilted into it. I've seen a lot of guilted standing ovations on this tour, um, but it's been great. I know that in the... I'm not sure if this is a part of all of the shows, but definitely in these shows, you guys have a quote like a Larry who's someone that you know gets to participate and is kind of the focus of the audience in the show do you guys look for something specific in a Larry well Mark picks our Larry's so yeah um I, I and it's it's always hard uh because we usually we uh literally only have that opening sort of um minute and a half of the song to kind of pick someone but I always try to pick the least confident-looking man I can, and that's not an insult to anyone that we've picked. But you want to try and get someone. The whole idea with the with the way that we use Larry in the show is that we break them down so that by the end of the show, they're willing to do anything for us, uh, which, as you've seen at the end of the show, no one's ever said no to what we ask them to do at the end of the show, which really surprises me because I feel like it's a pretty big ask. But because we've... Uh, broken them down so much throughout the show they um uh they usually they're usually okay by it so i don't know maybe least confident is the best way i just always try to pick someone who looks like they they don't really want to be on stage because i think that's the funniest thing uh that's the funniest type of person you get someone with too much confidence and that's funny but in a different way when there's someone who's clearly awkward and doesn't want to be there juxtaposed against us i think that's the funniest thing do you find that after the shows, the Larrys are totally into it? Are they always really, really excited to see you guys? Because after the show, obviously, you guys wait around and kind of talk to some of the fans. Have you had the opportunity to speak to most of the Larrys afterwards and get their, you know, get their feels for how they how they liked it? It takes a pretty special person to uh, sit in the front row of a comedy show and not expect to be uh, involved in the show. So, like, 
they're either massive fans or they're completely uh, completely uh, obnoxious to what's about to happen to them. So usually what I'm trying to say is they're usually fans. So when we meet them after the show, they're pretty chuffed, despite the fact we've just sort of humiliated them for an hour of their of their day that they were looking forward to. Um, but yeah, they're usually pretty pretty thankful. What also usually happens is we have kids return to the show. So someone who's seen our show comes back again and uh, so they try and sit in the front row to be Larry, and uh, and uh, that's happened a few times where someone has sat in the front row and been Larry, and, they, and it's been purely orchestrated by them. So they just act like they don't know what's going on, and at the end they say, "I knew what was going on the whole time. I was I was trying to help." Yeah, I've seen the show. I've seen the show before, and uh, I wanted to be Larry. <laughs> yeah, it's almost become this like urban legend amongst Auntie Donna fans, like the way to become Larry. And, uh, like, they, they try and work it out and plan it. To be fair, those have usually been really good diaries. <laughs> Is that, does that, like, kind of take away from the organic lariness of it? Or is that the same for you guys? You can't really, you know, ask for anything well, specific. Well, we, we don't know. We, we can't tell. And, we, and we've, that, it's happened about, I'd say, four or five times where at the end of the show, the kid who we've picked to be Larry has been like, yeah, I've seen the show. I really wanted to be Larry. That's why I sat at the front. It's happened like four or five separate occasions. Um, we haven't been, we haven't known the whole time because I don't know, they've just been real good. They haven't been smart asses about it. Like they've just really gone with the flow because they, they want to be up there, you know, but they don't want to be up there to be a performer. They just want to be a part of the show. So every time that's happened, the shows have been real good. <laughs> the only times that Larry's are issues, you can sort of feel through a show if the audience isn't responding to someone or if the, if the Larry is trying too hard. Every time that's happened, the person after the show who is Larry has said something like, I actually want to get into comedy or something like that. And yeah. instead of getting, oh, oh, there's the problem. They want to be comedians. And then, yeah, so the, I guess the ambition is to look for non-aspiring comedians. And I, I, it's one of those things as well. The beauty of that arc, I mean, without wanting to give away too much, the beauty of the arc with Larry, and, and this is semi-intentional and, and semi-just lucky, is it doesn't matter if they come in shy and, and, and scared of the stage. It doesn't matter if they come in just as a complete smart-ass over the arc and just by consistently getting them up on stage and shutting them down, by the end, they always end up at the same place. They always end up in the same zone. They're just willing to go with anything. I know, too, and I wanted to ask, because we, the friend of mine, when we saw the show in New York, we were in the second row, and during one sketch specifically, the, um, Mark managed to climb over like directly over my friend and I mean it was amazing and it's exactly kind of what we were there for but have you guys noticed any specific city or audience or area where that gets a little weird or some people like any area where everyone's just into it more than anywhere else oh, I don't I don't know we've like we had the audiences across the board American audiences are so generous and have probably been the most generous excitable audiences we've ever performed to. I don't know if you boys would agree, um, but I'd very much say so. Um, and they've been phenomenal throughout. Vancouver were pretty chilled out. They were a real chilled out audience. Um, uh, but other, other than that, everyone has been like so just energetic and, and willing. Uh, that's the great thing about not going into a cold room either. Like this, this whole tour, we haven't had to walk into a room and convince anybody to like us. Everyone who's there 
uh, fans of the YouTube or fans of the podcast, um, uh, you know, the majority anyway, so 80% of people there in audiences usually know who we are and are familiar with our voice. So we don't usually have to win them over, which is, um, uh, which is just a pure joy to perform to. You know, there's also a lot of joy in performing to a cold audience and trying to win them over. But uh, these audiences in America, not only are they big and vocal and, and awesome, but they know who, who we are and they're, they're there to see us. You know, so everyone's been pretty great. What kind of what you were saying about winning an audience over and the first impressions that you're giving audiences, one of the things that I realized originally watching the Edmore videos, but then seeing you guys live is, and you kind of take it for granted, but you guys are a comedy group of three guys. I've heard you compared to like the Lonely Island and, and uh, kind of groups like that where they're all not necessarily the same character, but they all at least put out the same kind of vibe and the same persona and they dress the same, but you guys all have your specific different ways you dress in different shows. And I was wondering, is that, was that a conscious choice originally to, you know, kind of fit your roles around the way you were dressed? Was it just, it's easier to climb over audience members with no shoes on? How did that, you know, kind of come up? Yeah, I mean, we originally sort of set out to wear the same thing in every show five or six years ago. We we're all going to wear suits and ties. But I think just because we're all quite individual people and quite different performers, very gradually we've all very slowly uh, moved towards what we're most comfortable in. It seems to be what's happened. Uh, Mark likes performing without shoes on. I prefer not wearing a blazer for a show. And ties, ties are like suffocating for me. Yeah, so it's sort of just... It's sort of just what's, uh, what we've, we've planned to be. In the, in, in the same way that Lonely Island in that there, some of them are performers and some of them aren't. We're, we're like, we're, we're a group of six people, uh, who, some of whom perform, some of who are interested in directing. Um, uh, one of us is a composer and one of us is a filmmaker. So, uh, yeah, we, 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 the, the ones, the, the three of us who are performers, we, uh, we thought quite, uh, we, we had a real, we made a real concerted effort to uh, define ourselves as three different characters when we perform on stage. And it's still something we, we move around and, and it's quite malleable, but a dynamic of three people is something we think about quite a lot. I think it's very, I mean, it definitely helps to set up, because even if you're familiar with kind of the style of comedy, it really does help to differentiate the different personas that you guys are taking on in sketches, even yeah. though there's a pretty big variance there. So I think that, that definitely helps. Yeah, and I think we're um, we're three very different people anyway. You know, uh, we came together because of a mutual respect. Uh, we we all loved each other as performers, not because of we had the same tastes or because we were similar sort of people. It was because we liked each other on stage. Um, so we're very very different people in life. We're very different people as performers, and it's kind of. What's a coincidence or what's interesting is that it works as a trio, not not the individual parts. So I think sometimes it's just about embracing that we all have different energies, we all have different looks and kind of making that work. And that's sort of the fun of it and I think where we get our voice from. Absolutely. I noticed when I was looking through some of the sketches online, even in like small bits, it does come out. I don't know if this was kind of intentional, but in the Bikey Boys finale at Edmore, the... Broden and Zach, you both die as members of the police or the gangs, and Broden dies really quickly, and Zach suffers on stage for a second. You can hear it in the background. It's really, it's really funny and 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 weird, but that is a completely different 
kind of read for that um you know for the for the same line there which is cool so is that is that something that's kind of a an extension of that or is that just something that happened that one night I mean, it probably just comes out of boredom. Doing the same thing every day is very different to doing something once and then putting it online. Um, we've probably performed that sketch over a hundred times now from, you know, when we first did it on stage in 2014. So I guess we said it yesterday in a VidCon panel that like the best way to find out if something's funny is to test it in front of an audience because you get an immediate response and you get, it's a real numbers game. You can say people laugh at certain things every day. So when we did that in-roll performance or when you see sketches perform live, they've usually been done a really high amount of times. So we've gotten to a point where we know exactly what gets a laugh at each point. And and I think that's also just such a great observation and such a great like uh, metaphor for how we are as performers, you know. Broden find, tends to find the jokes in a really hard uh, moment. He tends to find the jokes in a very sort of specific, um, pointed way. Um, I tend to find my laughs in a more organic sort of flowy way and like try to pick them up along the way, if that makes sense. And it, it, what, what, what a show is for us and, and what putting together an hour is for us. And Mark has his ways as well. Mark, uh, I could go into it, but Mark's got a more sort of almost a combination of the two. Like he'll just like, like rhythmic, like he'll hit joke points, but it's um, more flowy. And it's just about how do we take all these different energies, all these different comedic styles and, um, and make it work in one, in one thing. And that's just what we spent the last six years doing, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, it's very, it is very organic and it, the, that's kind of the fun thing about it is going to different shows, you know, coming back every night, not every night, but well, I mean, maybe, but coming back multiple nights, it is a different energy. Um, real quick, I want to ask you a question about some merchandise online. Do you actually physically have the classic flock hat? If someone paid you $3,500, would you be able to send them the hat from that video? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Tom's got it. Yeah. It's um we haven't had it insured at thirty five hundred dollars yet, but I want to get it insured and then lose it. Well, you did. I mean, originally, if I remember the video correctly, it was priced a little lower, and then Zach, I think, bumped it up significantly for no reason. So yeah. you have much yeah. more opportunity yeah. there to waver on price. I mean, people have bought other stupid shit. They they bought the denim shorts that Mark wore in a sketch for quite a high amount. There's a a butt funnel that was in a sketch we used. They someone bought that. <laughs> I mean, a blog hat is as silly as a butt funnel, I reckon. We we tried to we genuinely tried to price those things outrageously so that people wouldn't buy them, and then people bought them. And thankfully, thankfully the blog hat was priced so outrageously no one has. We 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 uh, cleared out our office recently, um, just where we do all our rehearsals and write and stuff. And uh, one of the one of the guys just threw out a bunch of stuff because we were never going to use it. And I was just like, you could have just charged three hundred a piece for that. Yeah, the blog hat was just this hat that was sitting on like the studio floor of our of our office. It was literally just sitting out of shot. <laughs> and the idea of that it's a it's a real like almost a, a Banksy thing of taking something of absolutely no value and then deciding it has value. I really like that. Yeah, I, even, even if it's not really worth that, we probably will treat it as if it could be worth that now. It's, it's a real Schrodinger's cat moment where they say, is it, is it worth it or is it isn't? It's just decided by the audience. We really want to do a weekend away off the coast of 
uh, Western Australia for $2 million? Because, you know, you never know. You never know. Yeah, because also, I don't know if you saw Zach. There's a, there's a Zach with DJ Your Party thing. I think I saw on a, you guys did a Reddit AMA recently where someone said that they had considered purchasing it for a wedding. We often get emails and, uh, our management gets the emails now and they just, their first email back is, you know he doesn't know how to DJ, don't you? That's like the whole point. <laughs> do you yeah, have yeah. DJ role models or influences that you think if you did DJ, this is what I would do? Because at some point, it's possible it'll get bought. Absolutely. For me, it's uh, like Paris Hilton is a big one. Um, uh, uh, that's all I know. Relax. Relax, yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting combination. Uh, yeah, I love uh, I love Paris Hilton. I love the I love um, all the DJs. <laughs> Every DJ, or we can name them all. Um, Paris Hilton. Paris Hilton <laughs> would be one. Would be one of them. And then heaps more that we know. I know so many DJs. The trick is. You uh, play one song and then you fade into the next song. That's what Paris Hilton does. And that's what Zachary Wayne DJ would do. That's, that's great. I mean, I, I think after, at least after this interview, it will, it will get purchased just to see what a Paris Hilton esque DJ actually is outside of Paris Hilton. Cause that is a very unique, um, you know, it's a very unique style. Uh, and I dress like, I'll dress like Paris Hilton as well. Paris Hilton coined the phrase, that's hot. <laughs> you know that? You know, she's a, she said she said the selfie is the uh, 21st century um, autograph, and she was right. She was right. She did say that, admittedly, in character on the OC. And she did say it in 1978, and so it wouldn't be the case for another 30 years. She was that far ahead of her time. We're, we're staying in a Hilton hotel right now, and sometimes I just think about the fact that the Hilton hotel... And The Simple Life, starring Paris Hilton, are, like, inexorably linked, and I find that really funny. The other day I was in my room, uh, it was about 10.30 at night, and I got a knock on my door, and it was just Paris Hilton, and she was like, I'm just checking if you guys, if you need anything for your stay here. I was like, no, I'm okay. She's like, you're good with waters, you're good with, you're good with towels, and I was like, yeah, she's like, thanks for choosing the Hilton. Yeah, it's so funny, because last night I was in my room, I got a knock on the door, and it was Zoe Kravitz, and she did the same thing. Zoe Kravitz, the daughter of many Kravitz. Yeah, I think this is a lot of daughters of famous people. Like, I think that might not be linked to the Hilton. Oh, really? I think this place just employs really daughters funny. of famous people. Well, well, why, why, Mark? I had a knock on my door last night. You don't say. No yeah. way. And it was uh, Robert Mills, who's a who's a ex Australian Idol contestant, I think he became he came third. He just knocked on my door, I was like, Hey Robert Mills, what do you want? And he's like, I just want you to know that a a bang Paris Hilton once. And I went, dude, I don't care and he went, It's true, I did it. It was all it was in the Australian Yeah, it was in the Australian tablets. I was like, Rob Mills, can you get out of my room please? And he went, That's all right. I gotta I gotta go play the lead role in Greece. What well what you need to do now, uh Matt, is to go Google Rob Mills. And then that will be that will, you'll get the context of that, and you'll have a great time. It's a it's a funny story. Rob Mills, Paris Hilton, um, and also Rob Mills, Greece. I mean, I've learned a lot about Australian culture from you guys. Not as 
culture, but specifically references to things. So I'm, I'll definitely <laughs> do that when this ends. Um, I know we're, I mean, this is pretty much ending now because I have a feeling, uh, you know, we're getting kind of close to the top of the hour. So I just wanted to ask because I know you're back in the States in July. You have the podcast that, um, you know, is incredible. You had Tim Minchin on last week. That was awesome. Do you have anything? Is there, are there other things you guys are doing? You're putting out new videos, the one, where you eat all the um, suntan lotion you guys just posted on the channel, but is there anything else we can look for from you guys in the next couple of you know couple months? In the next couple of months, we've got more YouTube coming up. We've done some pretty cool uh, podcasts with some uh, some, uh, some cool YouTubers. Um, we well, we actually just filmed this whole tour as a documentary, which will become a web series. So that's going to be released soon, and it's going to be sort of the adventures of that. But we also just. It's just been announced that we've get, we've uh, we've been asked to come and perform at Montreal just for laughs, which is really really cool. Which um, that's a bit of that's a bit of a dream come true for us. It's something we've wanted to do for a very long time. Cool. It's a comedy rite of passage in a lot of ways. And uh, the yeah, we performed at Edinburgh and the Melbourne Comedy Festival. And this one's the out of the big three. This is the last one that we need to do. So we're pretty chuffed about that. And. Uh, it's, that's going to be awesome. I'd say, yeah. Very exciting. We feel very lucky, yeah. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's, that's, that's all part of the trip uh, to New York as well, which is just like, if you had told me, I want to say 10 years ago, but I'm going to say a year ago, that I'd be traveling all across North America, um, that I'd be going back to New York, that I'd be going to Montreal and all those things, uh, it, it would be, um, I wouldn't believe you. I'd go, bugger off. <laughs> I will, I mean, it was, it's an amazing show. I think everyone should go see it. I'll definitely be back in July. So, um, I, oh, awesome. yeah. Champion. Thank you. Have, Thanks, man. have a great show. Thank you guys so much for, for taking the time and, um, and yeah, enjoy the rest of your stay in the States. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. So if you get the chance, go see him. It's a fantastic show they're going to be back in new york in july go check out their youtube channel it's a blast and if you are listening for the first time go ahead and subscribe to the show on itunes soundcloud wherever you're hearing this follow us on facebook and twitter we are popbreak.com spelled out one word p-o-p-b-r-e-a-k-d-o-t-c-o-m also if you happen to be in the new york new jersey pennsylvania area come to asbury park this saturday that is july 8th for the pop break summer social it's our first one of these it's fun some live music some food at the anchors bend in asbury park new jersey it's a nice little free show from 6 to 10 uh with some really cool bands it'll be a lot of fun Thank you again to the guys, and we will see you next time. Goodbye.